Welcome to MotivationAddict.com with Julie Salon. This is where you will find inspiring stories on how to motivate yourself and gain momentum towards success, turning fear into confidence, and how to find divine flow, allowing you to crush your goals. Thank you for being here. And now, let's tune in to today's show. Hey everyone, Julie Salant for Motivation Addict. Thank you for being here on this episode. I am super excited. I have Darby Bonomi that I'm going to be talking to today. Darby is a, she's a PhD. She's a practicing psychologist with over 25 years experience in facilitating positive transformations in clients of all ages. And her main role is as a sport and performance psychologist, Dr. Bonomi merges her lifelong experience in the equestrian world with her large toolbox of psycho- psychological and coaching interventions to improve overall performance, health, and happiness of equestrian athletes. She serves as an advisor to Giant Steps Therapeutic Equestrian Center, and she's on the advisory committee for the USET, United States Equestrian Team Foundation. And she shows currently in the Amateur Owner Hunters and Equitation with her horses Little Wing and Da Vinci, alongside her two daughters. She is married, has a college-age son, and lives in San Francisco. So can't wait for you to hear our conversation all about uh, mindset and how to set yourself up for success. See you on the inside. Hey everyone, Julie Salat from Motivation Addict. Thank you for being here today. I am super excited. I have Darby Bonomi here. She is a, it's Darby Firth Bonomi. She's a PhD. She's a practicing psychologist. She has 25 years experience in facilitating positive transformations in clients of all ages. And I've gone over the actual, her bio before, before you got into this video, she's basically a sports and performance psychologist and I'm dying to speak with her. So thank you for coming. Welcome to the show, Darby. Oh, thank you so much, Julie. I'm really excited to be here. I am so thrilled you're here. So excited to talk to you and everyone, if I'm looking down, it's because I have some notes. I want to make sure that I asked Darby all these great questions. So can you give us a little bit of background on kind of you know, you've worn a lot of professional hats over the years. How did your career evolve to where it is today? Yeah, sure. Um, yes, I started out as a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst treating clinical patients for many years. I saw families and um, and adults and kids. And then um, as I had, I have three kids. And as I had my kids, I uh, dwindled my practice. Um, I really wanted to, I stayed home for about five years. After being in practice for about 20 years, I, I really wanted to be home. So, um, so I stayed home for about five years to really focus on my kids and then revamped my practice, uh, coming back, doing a lot of parenting work. Um, um, just there's such a great need and a lot of education in schools. And then as I got, I was a lifelong rider. Um, actually I took a break, but when I got back into riding, thanks to my two daughters, I saw that there was actually a great need, um, in the horse industry for someone to educate parents. I started out mainly educating parents. Um, there's so many tricky parts of being an equestrian parent, especially if you're not a rider. And so my business started with people just asking me, what do I do? My daughter is, is, is falling off all the time. She's crying. I guess I need a new horse. What, how do I handle this? So I started in just casually consulting with people, um, also working with people and their, you know, 
uh, and their communication with their trainers, people, especially non-horse people, really didn't know how to approach a trainer, how to talk, really talk to a trainer about issues. Um, and then, um, and then gradually I've worked into being uh, more of a performance psychologist. I work with a lot of riders who have anxiety issues or performance issues, perfectionism. Um, I know and... nothing about that, Darby. Nothing <laughs> at all. <laughs> Right. It's just part of our, part of our breed. So, yes. um, so that's what I do now. I do uh, sport and performance psychology and, and I do see some clinical patients also. I have a, I have a wonderful practice of great group of people and, um, and I'm super thrilled to be able to combine my riding and my passion for horses and competing with um, all my clinical and coaching skills. That's what it's all about, right? Doing what you love and combining it. That's amazing. That's right. And yeah. I wish that I'd known you back in the day because I was the only one in my family that rode. So my father understood it, but my mother didn't. And it was, it can be very difficult if for any listeners out there that have equestrians and maybe they are not an equestrian. That's, that's a different thought process. They don't kind of understand why the child is so interested, why they can't. Maybe my mother thought it was a phase, right? Like you'll just grow out of it. <laughs> and then th there's those of us that it's never, it's a phase. It's really part of our DNA. We're really, this is something we can't live without. It's actually therapy for us. Do you have any thoughts? I know I'm throwing you a curveball here, but do you have any thoughts that you might want to express to if there are any parents out there that are listening that have some children that are riding and maybe they're non-riders and they're kind of like, gee, I don't really understand this. How could they best support their child through this process? I think you, you have to try to really understand the passion. I mean, some kids can be diverted to tennis or soccer, right? <laughs> A lot of parents are afraid of their child getting into riding. It's super expensive. It's time consuming. And so they try to interest their child in something else. And sometimes that works. But if you're truly a horse person, that kind of passion, I mean, you live for that. I just worked with a parent about this and they just finally bought their first horse reluctantly. The dad was super reluctant, but the mom who's not a horse person understood that this is this girl's life her self-esteem hinges on this her whole world and getting this horse it's been a beautiful transformation for her actually because after getting the dad to agree that for a few years she could have this horse till she goes off to college you could just see the girl blossom yeah. and um, grow into herself she really she's a wonderful girl super shy um, hard worker but just again blossoms at the at the barn and so I would say to parents you know if you have a kid like that and it doesn't have to be riding it could be something else could be gymnastics and you're not pushing and they're dragging you to the barn and they're cleaning stalls and saving their pennies to do this that that it's important that you do your best to support them in whatever endeavor it is because um when you have this kind of passion it, it doesn't go away and you and and actually the kid usually even if the parent says no and the kid has that kind of passion she'll do it anyway she'll right. figure out a way right um and that's a beautiful thing and skills that we learn in riding do apply even more so i think than other sports but i could think about that more right i mean how much do we learn with being with horses, taking care of another being, understanding another being, learning compassion, humility. Oh my God, riding horses do eat uh, <laughs> Right? A, a lot of, you really, um, I mean, I know this was true for me personally when I started riding at, at about 10 and, you know, I mean, you, you learn to go into the 
show ring, you learn to, you make a mistake, you might fall off. Yes, people are watching. You learn to get up out of the dirt, roll your stirrups up and do it again. And that is such, those are such great life skills. So I think also for non-equestrian parents, I try to educate them on how much there is to learn, especially for girls. I mean, the self-confidence I think that, that girls uh, gain from this sport is just, it's just irreplaceable. It's just hard to, to uh, get that anywhere else. It is. And I totally agree with you because, you know, I was kind of going down a bad path with some bad kids in, you know, junior high into high school. Cause I'd moved so many times and I really never felt like I fit in anywhere and the horses, you're right. You have to be there every day and you need to, you know, pick up the stall and you need to groom them. And even if you're not riding every day, my father thought that it was kind of like, this is her therapy and he could come in and I talk to the horse just like I'm talking to you. And I still do it to this day. And it really saved me because it does give you that dedication. You have to take care of the animal, but it's also that bond with the horse and the horses gave me acceptance where I never felt that. And especially in high school where high school girls are just awful to each other. And I don't know, I just have always felt accepted by the horses. Right. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you said that, that, that riding and horses are so therapeutic for all of us. We all understand that. Any rider understands that being with your horse, even more so than other animals, right? I mean, you learn to trust. I learned to trust with my first horse. Um, and um, so, and to this day, it's therapy for me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm sure for you too, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm there every day. Even if I can't ride, I'm still giving carrots. I'm still grooming and I I only go if I'm sick or if I'm away but I mean I don't go but otherwise I'm there every day and it's just um it's a big part of my life and that that let's that's a perfect segue into what people probably come to you for what's the well what's the number one thing that people come to you for what do they need help with uh, the number one thing is some sort of related something related to their performance anxiety um uh, you know, they're not the perfectionism. They're just a lot of amateur writers come to me and it's, I'm always impressed of how, how passionate they are about the writing and how scared they are to actually do it. And the fact that they continue to ride, even though they're so scared or so it's so tormented in some way, it really is a testament to the passion of these, these, uh, these women generally. Um, so so that is the, the, the number one thing. And I, I, what you just said reminded me of that, you know, the barn, right, is our sanctuary. Yes. I used that recently, right? It's yes. a sanctuary. It's a place. It's, it's supposed to be, and it is. It's a place of calm. Of, it's, it's an easy place to get grounded, right? Horses are very much in present time, right? Yeah. They're always in present. And so, and we are not, we're on our phones. We're, we're worrying about what's happening tomorrow or, um, uh, and so um, um, what I try to do is, and people who are so anxious and so, um, so worried about their performance, they've lost touch with the fact that this barn, this horse is, is your therapy you know, they, it, uh, he is your sanctuary. Let's get back to that and let's figure out how we can shed all these other worries and, um, and really be present with the horse. Cause once you are both on the ground and in the saddle, really present and connected heart to heart with your horse, all that other stuff really diminishes, if not goes away entirely. Um, so, uh, maybe we could go on and on if you want me to say more about it. I mean, I mean, I think that, 
being present and mindfulness is something that we both teach on and we both talk about. And it's a really hot topic this year. But I think what you're saying is so true because we're always thinking either of the past, like what happened yesterday, maybe we're still processing something, or we're thinking, oh, in two days I have this to do, a meeting, and I have to prepare for it, whereas horses are right in the present. They are not thinking about anything else because they're the prey animals. They're looking for a dinosaur to eat them. So they are the master <laughs> teachers, right? I right, mean, that's there right. Say, no, you're here with me, and by the way, if you if – you, look elsewhere, I'm going to nudge you and I'm going to make you remember I'm here, I'm right now. And if you're not interested, then they'll walk away. So I'd love to maybe if you could talk a little bit more about mindfulness, because I just feel that people, a lot of listeners might be able to use this in their own personal lives or in their business. How how could we be more mindful and be more focused in what we're doing? Yeah, that is a really hot topic and it's it's needed more than ever, right? Especially with the dreaded phone, which I have here too, right? The phone this morning, pulling <laughs> as me long away. As you're not riding while you're on your phone, Darby, we're good. <laughs> right. Yes. No, I'm really, that is right. Yeah. The worst people do not ride when you have your phone in your ear. <laughs> so I think, you know, for me, mindfulness or how I practice mindfulness is about really paying attention to where you are in the moment right now. And we do have to practice it. It is a practice and you have to practice it or I have to practice it. Otherwise I get out ahead of myself too. Um, So even right now I can do what I call a mini meditation and feel my legs in the chair and my back in the chair and my feet on this floor and, and really pay attention to my hands here and looking at you. And already I'm more grounded and more present than I was 15 seconds ago. Um, and so, and it's so simple, right? This is such a simple thing to do, but we often forget. So I teach a very basic, uh, and you could use this in your office. I can use it right now. I can use it on a horse. You know, what I find is people, uh, might be pretty present when they're at the barn, um, grooming their horse, getting ready to ride. They're nuzzling with their horse. They're present. And then sometimes the really anxious folks get super, uh, you know, the anxiety kicks in when they get into the ring and they're about to get on the horse or they get on the horse. Yes. So one of the things I teach people that I find personally works really well for me when I have nerves is just practicing that mindfulness when you're on your horse. Feel your feet in the stirrups. Feel your butt in the tack. Feel your reins in in, in your hands touch your horse, just really paying attention to what, what he or she feels like. Look at her ears, um, right? Really just practicing these mini moments of being present. And already just saying this to you, I feel. Yeah, I, yeah, can I feel, feel it, it too, because you feel right? yourself slowing down because you're yeah. stopping and noticing things that if you're busy and you're up in your head, you're not noticing and I try to always think, well, what is the horse seeing too? Not just what right. am I seeing above them, but if I was them, if I was him, what would he, what's he seeing? Because right. it just makes you kind of, and you can do it incrementally and do it, you can do it anywhere. It just slows you down enough to think, let's, and, and then your breathing slows down and then you're more focused right. and then you're there a hundred percent. Yeah. And that's yeah. huge because- yeah. If you're someone like myself who's had anxiety from an injury, it's 
it's great. I go in, I'm, I'm happy. I'm great. And then there are certain times, maybe if I'm um, putting on, you know, putting the bit in his mouth and I'm tightening things up or I get to the mounting block. That's usually when it starts really bad is I'm going to swing my leg over and then you're thinking, Oh crap, I'm a little, I'm, and I hate this feeling. It sucks because you don't want it and you know, this should go away and you know, it's not real, but you're in the, you're just thinking, this is kind of weird. You're kind of thinking from before, right? An accident, let's just say, but you're also thinking ahead, like, holy crap, this happened once. Could it happen again? Yes, it could. It could happen right now. And so it's kind of a fight with your brain. Mm -hmm. So is that truly the best way to just actually just slow down and start with your heels and then just work your way up into just... Yeah. Okay. I think that's a a great idea. And and, because if you're worrying about what happened when you fell off and you're worried about what might happen, right? You're in the future, you're in the past, but you're not present. Right. Right. So the goal is really to be right now. And, and you know, right now, if your horse is about to take off or, right, you know that because you especially are so intuitive. Um, but all of us, even those of us who don't have as much intuitive skill as you do, we know when our horse is, if we're really present and we're not like, way over here, <laughs> way over there, you know, we can feel, we can feel it. And actually we need to be able to feel that because sometimes you get on and you think realistically, I should get off and lunge them today. Um, <gasps> Hallelujah. Dang. <laughs> Okay, that's why we're so like on the same wavelength. Let's talk about this for one second. Nobody okay. talks. Okay. <laughs> so at the Equine Women's Summit in January, when I went to Florida, I said this to a group of women. And I said, this is my personal theory. There are days where I do not ride my horse. Okay. I think of myself as a battery. And if I am not at at least 70%, uh-huh. 65 minimum. I don't ride. In other words, if I'm of a migraine, if I'm tired, you know, you, your body hurts some days. Um, maybe you worked out and you're just super, like, you don't have any energy. If I'm at 30 or 40%, I don't ride. Or I make sure I'm going to lunge and get those whoopies, we call them, out first. Right. What are your thoughts on that? Please talk about I that. think that's awesome. I think that horse people tend to be perfectionists push right we, we just push so hard and we feel like somehow narcissistically uh diminished if we don't tough it out and get yeah. on and ride yeah. but that's that is we don't treat ourselves as we would treat our horse if your horse were only at 30 percent, you would never get on him right no. if he looked like right you would say you know what you need a break or a hand walk or whatever um so i think that's i mean that's smart first of all if you've only got 35 percent you know, how are you possibly going to be, how are you going to do your horse just justice? Um, I mean, if you have to do this, you're rallying, you're going into some big class, well, then you rally, you wouldn't be at it, right? I mean, at home when you have the choice and you have time in the world and it's okay. Absolutely. I think that you must do that because otherwise you're going to give your horse a bad ride or you could, you're not going to be fully present. You know, that's when stuff happens, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I think horses should, they, they teach us to do that. It's not like taking your dog out for a walk. I can do that when I'm 30. <laughs> right? Absolutely. But, um, and she boosts me up to 70%. But, you know, you can't, I, I think absolutely horses deserve us to be fully present and 
um, and, you know, uh, on our game before we get on their backs and ask them to be on their game. That's only fair. And I agree with you because there are days where I always say, you know, yesterday's horse is not today's horse is not tomorrow's horse. Because obviously, if it if that was true, then we'd all have, you know, Grand Prix at the highest level or, you know, whatever your discipline is. Right. Um, but you know, sometimes we go to the barn and we're feeling great. We're at 95%. We're like, yes. And they're feeling the same way. And that's when you get those magic moments, yeah, you know, where you're just right. mind melding and, you know, you think it and they do it. It's awesome. But that's not every day. That's right. probably not even most of the time. Let's be honest. Um, most of the time, it's pretty good. You're pretty in sync. But there are days when you can go and you're feeling really great. And your horse, you notice, is like just having an off day. And that happens. They're, they have their own personalities, as you know. Sure. And isn't that the time when we should say, you know what, let's just go out for some grass or, you know, let's <laughs> kind of do a little something, something and yeah. call you it a day. It's okay. Maybe you're just doing some stretchy trot and loosening up their body. And absolutely. No, I agree with you entirely. And it's, a t it's teamwork. Like as with any athlete, it's teamwork and you know, you need to, adjust to, to what you have that day. And, have that um, day yep. and, and also the other thing is horses can't always tell you that, oh, this hurts a little bit, right? So maybe your horse is at 35% because he's a little stiff in the back today. And so yeah. what you did yesterday. So maybe today is a stretchy trot day. But if you're not listening or you're distracted or you're not grounded and you're all about yourself and disappointed that you don't get to ride, which I understand, but still, <laughs> you know, uh, you're, you're not serving your horse. Oh. I agree. And it's all, it's all about that commitment to them. We have to them, they have to us. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about one of the questions that you asked me that I would like to go over with you is, you know, we're all so busy and most of us are amateurs. And we have work, we have family life, we have uh, our hobbies. You know, you may have your horse and you may do other things. You may play tennis, you may bowl, who knows? At the gym, almost everybody goes to the gym or does some sort of exercise and spirituality. And we've got all of this plus the horses. And as we all know, the equestrians, you know, this is a, this is a big commitment, a big time commitment. What are your best recommendations? And I'm sure you hear this a million times, but yeah. um, to balance, how, how can we balance our lives and our commitments so that we feel like we're kind of, you know, giving a little bit to each area as much focus as we can, you know, we're mindful and we're there, but how can we make it so it's a little easier on us? I think it starts with compassion, Julie, you know, that we're all so driven. We tend to be, we horse people are, and especially we, those of us who compete, we're driven and perfectionistic and, and we get really down on ourselves if we're not at a 95% or that if we have to do X, Y, Z, so we can't, maybe you're not at 95% because you had a work thing you had to do, right? And you, you had to do that. And so you, you know, I think having compassion for ourselves and hopefully that doesn't sound cliche, but I think we all um, have to practice compassion for ourselves as we would our horses most people treat their horses much better like I said already than they treat themselves um, and so it starts with there you can't do everything at 95% today Julie sorry right <laughs> come on Darby really uh, <laughs> especially as you get to a certain age but so I think that you say you know sometimes so it's not necessarily balance it's it's more management 
sometimes your work or your family is taking priority and you have to lay up on your lay off on yourself in terms of what your riding goals are. You know, if you're a single person and you're 20 something and it's your whole life, then it's different, right? You can go full bore and that's great for you. But if you're someone who's a little older and you have different components in your life, um, you can't expect to do it all at, at this high level all the time. Like I said, if you're preparing for a show, then yeah, more of your energy goes in into that. Um, but then you'll have to pick up the pieces in your other areas of life when you get back. And, um, and that's okay. Um, and that's okay. And I think having more compassion, I mean, the point is to enjoy what we're doing, right? Right. And so driven. Um, and, uh, so competitive and so what am, I'm looking for a word that I can't find then the joy goes out of it right so part of what I actually teach people is or what I see and try to teach it is when people are having more fun if they're really enjoying it in the moment regardless of whether they're riding at 70% or 95% but if they're really enjoying that time in their present then they do ride better right and they ha they enjoy it more and it's worth it yeah um, Versus the suffering that I see so many people um, endure when they get a score that, you know, they've got a 60% and they thought it should be a 70% or whatever. Right. Um, so, but it's constant work. This balancing or whatever you want to call it is constant. It, for me personally, it's constant work because I have very high standards for myself too. And I have to uh, remember to, um, to, to not push full bore on on all areas because I just get, you know, burned out quickly. Yeah. And take, take a breath. And as you said, you know, speak to yourself nicely, give yourself some compassion because, you know, going to the gym or whatever you do for a workout is really great for your body. It'll make you a better rider. It makes you better at work. It releases the endorphins. It's all those wonderful things we all know, but actually doing it and scheduling the time for it, it's just going to balance you out better physically and feel better. And the better we feel, the better, you know, we can give no right. matter what area that we're in. Yeah, absolutely. And you just reminded me of one thing that I talked to a client about yesterday, which was she uh, was saying, how is this this thing going to work out with my relationship. And I can't figure out how it's going to work out. I have this, I have this, how's it going to work out? And she wants to nail it down. And I, what I said to her is, um, why don't we reframe it and just change the tone rather than how is it going to work out with that desperate feeling like it's not going to work out to how is this going to work out? Yes. This is going to work out. Yes. And putting that energy out into the universe, which I totally believe like this is going to work out. Yes. I may not, mentally be able to figure it out right now but it's not it's time right now this is she's worrying about the future it's t in present time everything's working out and if we have that attitude and we send that message of how is this going to work out this is going to work out how not sure yet but it is going to work out completely changed her feeling about it yes. like oh okay i don't have to force it or make it work no because it's not even an issue right now yes it's an issue you're working you're thinking about for two years from now so um that kind of thinking too when you can't figure out how is this going to work out sorry this is making noise. um if you can reframe it into a, a, a positive like it's going to work out i'm going to have faith it's going to work out or however you would put that um i find it works out that's my experience we are on the same wavelength i can't even believe <laughs> you said that because this morning i had that same epiphany 
and I always get attacked with, you know, you, you're trying to, to push, you're trying to push and make things happen. And, yeah. and it's because we're hard workers and we want things to, to be great and we're perfectionists and that's not great, but we're trying really hard. And then it was kind of like, you know, you need to calm down and just focus on what you have and just relax and try to flow more because I always used to say exactly what you just said. I don't know what's going to happen today, but it's going to be an awesome day. I always say this. It's going to be an awesome day. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be great. I can't wait to see what happens. When you take that, that part of it, that how it's going to come to you, everything opens up because now you're giving the universe a million ways to give it back to you. Right. And as you said, you're focused on now instead of what's going to happen three days from now. So instead of making it try to happen, it's coming to you. It's yeah. going to happen. So, and especially with horses, because they can feel when you're, you're, you know, you're, they know when you're talking to yourself because you're clamping down and you're t getting tight and you're, you know, you get energy, like right here, I get tight yeah. and you're not flowing anymore. You're not breathe. I always forget to breathe myself. That's a big they, one for me. Yeah. You've and, been reminding me of this, the, the whole interview. So we, I think you're right. Breath is incredibly important. So right. Am I the only one that does that? Please tell me I'm not. No, no, breathing is, I forget to breathe too, and I've forgotten to mention it. So I'm really glad you're underscoring it because, yes. right? Talk, if, talk about that. I'd love yeah. to hear more about it. Well, if you're paying attention to your breath, um, I mean, right? We all hold when we're anxious, we're holding tight like this. And if you breathe, so often your horse is doing the same thing and yes. he or she will take a breath too. Yes. Right? Yes. And so you can actually... Um, uh, rhythmically breathe, breathe with your horse and you'll just see your horse relax into that turn. And so breath is super important all the time, but it, particularly when you're riding, because you know, the horse feels everything. Yeah. Um, and um, so use your breath. Thank you. And they, and they give us that calming signal. A lot of times, even just on the ground, they just, you know, and they'll breathe deeply and then you right. breathe deeply or vice versa. You breathe, then they breathe deeply. It's kind of, you're calming. They're trying to calm you down. And my trainer would just say, remember to breathe, remember to breathe. Because if you breathe, you'll be more relaxed and the more flowing you are, the better you are. And it sounds easy to say, I know uh, when you're up there, you know, I think it's just a habit, but you can unlearn habits. You can change. And the more you breathe, it's been physically proven that your heart will slow down. You will be more relaxed. So that does really help. And then obviously it helps your horse too, obviously. And, you know, if you forget to breathe, one of the things that I remind people to do is put signposts in your mind around the ring at certain, at that tree, I'm going to remember to remember my breath or at that fence or that letter. I'm going to, you, you can, you can plan that into your course or your pattern or whatever kind of riding you're doing and say, you know, that that's, I'm going to jump that jump. I'll use this. I'm a hunter jumper rider. You know, at that jump, I'm going to do the first fence. Then I'm going to come around the turn and I'm going to breathe at that, whatever. Um, and you could just plan it into your course, just as if, just as you would plan your, your fences or your turns or, um, and for someone who doesn't breathe or forgets to breathe, it's hugely helpful. And it's a super simple thing, but it really helps. That's a good idea. That's a really great idea. And actually you could do that just on your way into the barn too. If you feel like you're having anxiety when you're driving to the barn, you could at a, at a certain spot or a certain sign, you could start remembering to start to try to ground yourself and think, relax and try to deep breathe. And even, I mean, you don't want to do too much as you're driving, but you know, just a place where you might have a marker to say, it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. Um, have you, 
I, I heard that. So I'd never done that, but I think that's probably a good idea, especially if some, some of us get really nervous as you get closer and closer and closer to the barn, if you have a lot of anxiety. Yeah, no, absolutely. I actually do practice this and teach this to certain people who are are, uh, open to it. I try to prepare myself mentally and spiritually before I get to the barn. So I try not to listen to the radio or do a lot of call, at least give myself, you know, 10 minutes before I get to the barn. And it's not really because I'm so anxious coming to the barn because I'm not but it's about clearing my space so I can be available to my horse and so that I personally can take in every second at the barn. Because for me, being at the barn, that's the best time of my, I'm not there every day, four days a week, but that's the best time of my yes. life, pretty much. I love being there. So I don't want to drive in, you know, talking to somebody on the phone or taking care of details. And of course, sometimes I do have to do that, but I really put my phone away and do my best not to check it until I'm finished. You know, I try to really create these boundaries around this sacred space that is the barn for me so that I can just because it's like, as for you, it's refueling for me to be after that, you know, I can be having like a day and then I go to the barn and I come out and like, I can conquer the world. Problems are small, right? I feel great. Even if I haven't, it doesn't, matter how great the ride was just being there for me is rejuvenating so absolutely so I definitely practice that a kind of maybe not breathe I do breathe and I'll do just some uh little meditations that you can do while you're driving that I tell myself and just uh, really prep myself so I can take it all in I love that and I do that too and I think everybody should do that because when you come with all your junk from work or a fight with someone and frustrations, your horse can feel all that. And here you are thinking you're going to have the best ride in the world today when really you've got all this junk and they feel your energy and they feel your electromagnetic field. And it's sometimes they're like, Ooh, you know, I don't kind of, she's not, Ooh, I don't know about this today. How's this going to go? And then you wonder why they're getting a little bit of an attitude. So if you can be calm and drop as much junk as you can and be happy and relaxed and in that really great present state, then that is wonderful for both of you. And you have that bond and it gets, it's that Zen that you really, I like to protect that space because that's my Zen place. That's what we work for. That's what we, we, you know, that's our, that's our really our, the best place we can be other than our families probably. So um, you want to kind of protect that if you can make it wonderful. And we could actually take that, you were asking about, you know, in other areas of life that now that we're so contaminated by the phone and we can work all the time and we do and, and that's life now, but it is really important to set those boundaries around other areas of our life too, right? This is my time taking, I I love to hike and jog in the woods and this is my time and I'm not going to answer any texts. I'm going to try not to even take my phone because if that's, we need recovery time right? We need re- restoration and recovery time. You can't push all the time at, at, at as hard as we push without so, some recovery. Right. So, um, so yeah, not just at the barn, but other areas too. And maybe it's just 10 minutes. Maybe I'm just going to take my dog up the block and just, you know, get the, you know, just clear myself. Yeah. That's, that's, but it's all about, we all have to work harder at those boundaries because our ha- homes aren't the sanctuary that they used to be, right? Right. Even our hikes aren't the sanctuary because we can bring that darn phone everywhere. Right. <laughs> right. And, if so. you, and if you work out of your house, 
like I do, you know, you can work anywhere in your house. So then it's almost like it can never turn off. So you have to really set clear boundaries. That's right. As to, you know, when I'm working and when I'm not working, because you need to be able to switch on and off. So, cause otherwise, you know, with your phone and you can take your computer in any room and then you're working. Um, yeah. So yeah, you have to really, you know, make sure that you set the boundaries. I know that you work with professionals and amateurs can you tell us a little bit about the differences and what, you know, when they do come to you, what do, how, how do they, what do they want? What are their biggest, uh, what, what are the areas they need help with and how does that look for each group? Yeah. Um, well, we'll start with, I mean, we've talked a lot about amateurs, so I'll just start there. I mean, amateurs tend to come, like I said, with performance issues, anxiety, all the things we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, juniors too. I see um, junior riders being, um, just so perfectionistic. I mean, perfectionism is really, uh, we've mentioned it a lot today, but it really is an issue and it gets in the way of performance and it gets in the way of enjoying, uh, what you're doing. So I get a lot of people, um, uh, you know, wanting to gear up for a particular class, but they're, or, or a final and, um, and they, they're not riding their best because the closer they get to it, the more perfectionistic they're getting. And, uh, you know, the riding is going downhill. Yeah. Um, I get do I get some people, some families coming to me to help me help them sort out their horse situation. Um, especially non horse families, you know, they've gotten into it maybe a little too deep. They don't know where to turn. Things aren't going well with their trainer. They're not sure how to talk to their trainer. They're not sure they have the right trainer. So I, I do do, that's a different kind of work, but it's a consultative work where I, I'm not involved. I don't, I, you know, I'm not connected to any trainer professionally. Um, I mean, I have a trainer, but that's not, you know, I will help them evaluate, like, and ask the right questions and get the information they need. Um, so those are some basic areas. And, and one other thing I'll say is that almost always, well, not always, but a lot of times when people get into these issues that are coming up in riding, they're related to other stressors, other things that are going on in their lives. So we usually do spend some time on um, other areas of their life. You know, they're having trouble in their relationship and that maybe is oozing over into the hyper-perfectionism we're seeing and the, you know, the overemphasis on maybe their riding. So, so that's part of, uh, part, of, part of what I do also. Um, and then with professionals, professionals tend to come with frustrations about clients that they just haven't been able to, uh, somehow that maybe the, maybe there is this perfectionism or high demand or something and that the professional can't quite work with, or it's just a little bit too much. I mean, I'm in awe of professionals, what they do what their job is. I mean, when you think about it, they have to train horses, they're training riders, they're managing a business, they're organizing for shows. If they're, I mean, they're um, doing sales and all that what they do. I mean, to have to be great people, people, <laughs> people, people and horse people and riders. And I mean, there's just so many aspects of that job. And so some people do come to me to help them figure out how do I communicate better with this person who keeps taking everything I say as a criticism or who is um, just having so much anxiety at the back gate. I can't, it's too much. I can't, I can't actually serve this person. And so, um, I take over working with the client in terms of the anxiety or whatever the issue performance issue is. And I also help with the communication because um, maybe there's things, a lot of people are afraid to tell their 
um, trainers how they're really feeling. Um, and yes. sometimes the trainers are afraid to tell the, the client um, certain things. And there's a miscommunication. That It's usually that both sides haven't talked thoroughly. So, and sometimes they don't feel comfortable for whatever reason. And I can be the go between and help repave this, this, uh, this road so that they can communicate uh, more fully so that both sides can, can be heard. That's that's great. That's great. I I like to talk a little bit about expectations. And the reason I I thought of this was because uh, in my own life, I've seen many riders go through this on, I think maybe all of us fall prey to this at some point. Sometimes because we're perfectionists, we don't see things clearly. We're too close to a situation. And I'll give you an example. Let's take, uh, you know, woman A, who is a rider and she rides once a week and she wants to, you know, she's got a fantastic horse and she really wants to go to a show and win a blue ribbon and she wants to move up a level like within a month. Then you've got the other rider B who's there every day and who has an expectation to move up a level, but she's giving herself six months. So you can see which one's real and which one's maybe not so real. Right. How do you, do you have any you know, guidelines as to expect the expectations that you set for yourself and for your horse? Client? Uh, well, you know, I think you're right. You, you, one needs to be reasonable. And there are a lot of people out there who are unreasonable about their expectations. And then it usually becomes apparent very quickly, right? Like the rider yeah. that, um, uh, you know, purchases the really young horse who's, who's, you know, like you said, a couple time a week rider, a decent amateur rider, but still only riding a couple hours a week. And then the, the, the goal is to show at a particular level. Um, so you really do need to be clear about what you want and what's realistic. And part of that is involving your trainer. So many people, I just wrote a piece about this, that you need to have these conversations with your trainer. This is where I want to, because the trainer will be, if the trainer's worth, worth his weight and whatever, um, the trainer will say, you know, that's not realistic, Julie. You're not going to get to this level in a month riding four times between now and then. Right. Um, and okay. so I think a lot of us don't want to hear, hear the limits. They don't want to hear um, uh, what's realistic, but, but this is true in life too, right? You're not going to run a marathon, um, in a couple months if you're not practicing. So I think it's really important to be clear with your trainer, have regular discussions and check-ins about your progress and what your goals are. And it's really imperative that the trainers are, you know, don't dance around topics and are really clear, um, with the clients. It's so funny that I'd love to see your piece that you wrote on this because I actually think that people should interview trainers. And the reason that I say that is because, and I'm sure you probably agree, is because people are afraid. Even if you're older, it doesn't matter how old you are. There's there's something there about a trainer being here and we're here. And some do give off the air and some don't. And there are great ones and there are not good ones for everyone works differently. Right. Right. Somebody who yells a lot. Um, some people love it and that makes them just try harder. Somebody that yells at me a lot. I just am like, bye. Like, that's just not how I work. I need somebody softer and more supportive. So I do think it's important to, um, talk to other people that they've worked with, really interview them. But most importantly, and you tell me if, if I'm wrong, what your thoughts are, 
they have to get along with you and your horse. Yeah. Because yeah. like I have a very sensitive horse. And so if, if you were with us in the ring and you hit your horse with a crap, my horse will jump. So it's imperative that he gets along really well with somebody who's slow and keeps the noise level down. And, you know, he's got a few things he needs to be comfortable. Um, and, you know, having the right trainer can really make or break you. You've seen that a million times, I'm sure, right? Absolutely. And what, and, and there's no need to, you know, what works for you may not work for me and what right. work for the third person. So there are different methods that are all valid or most of them are valid. And so, right. I need, and the other thing is that you may outgrow a trainer, right? Right now you, you may be set with trainer a, but then you grow either personally or in your riding. And then that trainer isn't the right fit anymore. And I think in our industry and maybe in all industries, but in our industry particularly, you know, trainers become our family and we spend a lot of time at the barn and all that we've already talked about the barns of sanctuary. It's so hard for people to leave barns and it becomes this messy divorce type situation, which is, it's just for a lot of times if people would step back and realize that this is what happens in life. You outgrow certain teachers, right? That's why we graduate yes. from high school and go on to college and then go on to graduate school. You, you change and maybe it's just a personal change you need. And you, I mean, you've been to a clinic and some, the clinician says something to you in a different way, really saying the same thing, but it's like, Oh, now I can do this move. Right. Yes. And so I, I think if we all had more of a growth mindset, in this way, right? That this happens, people move around, that we could, we could really reduce the angst in the industry um, because it's just, it's just a normal part of development to change. It's just like you outgrow jobs sometimes, you know, you, you Absolutely. come to a job and then maybe you've learned everything that you're going to learn and you need, you need to move on because you don't want to stay stagnant. So you need the next level. Um, or as you say, you know, you change horses or, you know, it's super hard because, um, yeah, the places where you are, when you find a good spot, your horse is happy, you're happy. And then sometimes when I had, when I had to move from Connecticut to Myrtle beach, it was really, really like, I got to find a place for my horse. I mean, and you, you got to interview and it's, you know how it is. I mean, it's a finding a child a home. Um, so, you know, (laughs) want them to be happy because when they're happy, you're happy. So, um, it's, that's right. It can be really tricky, but I think if you look at it as I've changed and I've grown, we're certainly not the same people that we were a year ago. If you think of it that way, your horse isn't either, and maybe you both need something different. And I do believe that that people come into your life at different times, different seasons to teach you different things. And it's not always forever. Sometimes it can just be for a little bit of time and that's okay. Because yeah, absolutely. as you said for you and I, you may be helping someone just for a short time, but then I'm yeah. sure you have clients that you're with for quite a while. Yeah. Or they go and they come back. They Different issues, back. right? I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that is really just part of life, I think. Um, um, yeah. And I just, the one other thing I'll add is that si- since I think we're such a perfectionistic culture in general, but certainly... Um, the horse, horse folks, I think it's important to remember that no barn is perfect and no trainer is perfect. So, you know, you might find a situation that is right. They're, they're going to be things that you don't like, or you wish you had that's life. Right. And, yes. and uh, that's where communication is really important. Like maybe you need to be taught by an outside clinician once a month, and maybe you need it for this reason. If you have a really good relationship with your trainer and good communication, 
things can generally work out. Um, and so I, but I just wanted to put that in because I find so many people wanting to find the right place. And you know how it is in life. Things aren't, if you're pushing too hard for perfection, you're missing what you, the, you know, what the beauty and what you have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes you need to settle for 90%. I don't think there's, there's no perfect barn. There's no perfect horse. There's no perfect human, right? Let's just get as close as we can to those things on my list. And if you can come up with maybe nine out of 10, we're doing pretty good. Yes, that's right. You don't want to go from three to 10, three out of 10, you you know, but if you're generally in the vicinity, I mean, nothing is perfect and things change. Sometimes you're at a barn and then new owners come in. um, so, So, you know, things can change. I, I know you've mentioned this quite a few times, perfectionism, um, but one thing I'd like to ask is for injuries. I have had an injury. Um, let me try and turn this off. Oh, that's yours. Okay. I, as you know, and my thought process is a lot of writers don't, um, they don't talk about injuries. It's yeah. really weird. They'll say something like, well, Darby, you know, um, I hope you, I hope you feel better. You know, I know you're going to get up there soon. I know your horse misses you, that a girl, that type of thing. But nobody's ever said to me, like, how are you doing? Is there, is there anything I can do for you? Do you need support? Do you, how can I help you? Um, because what happens is a lot of times you lose not only trust in your horse, you lose trust in yourself, in your own riding ability. Have, have you found that to be true in your experience? And if so, how could we change that culture? Yeah, you're right. I I think that's right. I have found that, that people are afraid. They're afraid of losing their confidence or they're afraid to even touch that topic. So I think you're right. I think people say, how are you doing? But they mean, is your collarbone healing? Not how are you doing emotionally? Right. Um, and so, you know, I think awareness. I think I got to write an article on this, Julie. You should. You should. <laughs> Actually, a couple of people have asked me so, uh, to write this article, so I need to get on it. Um, because that kind of emotional healing, you know, we're all afraid of it somehow. Um, we're not afraid of breaking our arm or, you know, and the healing of that, but the healing of our of our psyche and our spirit is, is something that people run from or somehow tend to be more afraid of. Um, I think, cause it's not as well defined. It's not, you know, you know, you might take six months to recover and someone else might take two years, right. Or, or it'll always be there. So, um, so it's not as well defined as how long it takes to, to recover from a collarbone or a, um, but I agree, we need to all be talking about it and be more aware. If we raise awareness, right, if you start raising awareness and talking to people about it, then I think it opens it. I think other people feel safer to to, to talk about it. Um, I, I think because, you know, we're all, you know, everywhere I've been, everyone always says have a good ride. It's always that kind of camaraderie, even though it's an individual sport, right? right. And I, I just feel like if we could change that culture and maybe shift it a little bit, that it doesn't even have to be an injury, you know, maybe you just had an off day, you know, Hey, you know, how can I, how can I support you today? Or how can I help you today? Not, not physically, but you know, maybe sometimes, you know, it's really helpful. I'm sure you've, you've said this to your clients to just have some eyes on the ground. You know, we call it right. Just somebody in the ring to sit with you. I don't know why, but for some reason that always feels like to give, I feel more confident. I don't, I don't know why that is, but it just feels like, Oh man, I don't know. Maybe it's just the support that somebody's got my back. Um, yeah, and you yeah. just can take that with you and then you feel like, okay, this is really good. I'm feeling good about this. Yeah. 
No, I think we could promote that in, you know, across the board, more real support of each other. It's an individual sport, but we all are connected because we're all horse people. So we all know, I mean, you know what it's like when someone's horse gets injured. I mean, we talk about our own personal injury, but what about when your horse gets injured because it's a suspensory? Oh man, that's nine months. We know it, right? We all know like, oh, the S word, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think there's not a, enough support there for how are you doing, Julie? Your horse is out for a long I mean we so I think um, um, you know if we could all just talk more about it and be there for each other it'd be less of an individual sport because really it's a huge community and I do feel like here you know in Northern California we've had some terrible fires and and I have been so impressed with our community across disciplines people coming out of the woodwork to help each other. And the only reason I bring it up is that it's like, oh, it is a horse community, regardless of whether you're a rainer or a hunter jumper rider or a dressage rider. There, there is a horse community here taking care of each other. But unfortunately, we only feel that in that intensity when there's a crisis. Um, yeah. But wouldn't it be nice to feel it all the time? Because as I say, you know, we're all riding horses. It doesn't matter how much your horse costs. It doesn't matter your discipline. It doesn't matter the breed. We're, we're all riding horses. And that's all of us. It's our passion. Right. Like that's the bottom line. So we can all support each other. So um, you've got to write something about that. I'll write something and you write something and then we can okay. there. That would be good because I think everybody, I mean, it just, uh, even if somebody says I'm okay, it just makes the world a difference to ask the question, yeah. you know, how are you feeling emotionally? How, how can I help you? Yeah. How are you today? Really? And really ask it with that, not how are you, but how like are you? The real compassion, uh -huh. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I actually try to do this in my, it, it just reminds me of what I try to do every day as I walk around. I try to really connect because what you're talking about, right, is really connecting with someone. Uh, if you're in the grocery store and the person who's checking you out and you, out and you look at her or him and say, how are you? good to see you or I, I really love that dress you have on or and you really are looking at them and you're paying attention to really being that present moment you've just changed her life in that moment and right. she feels recognized and that's really I think what you're talking about right mm -hmm. we all know the difference and we don't think about it as much but the difference between someone really looking at us and really having that maybe it's just a moment of caring but um but it it changes us changes our day it does and, um you know, and I think, uh, so we could practice, that's a practice that you could have all the time Every and, day. Make, and it makes your community larger, um, just by the very fact of doing that. So I'm so glad that you're doing this for, for everyone, because, uh, you know, equestrians need this, they need this help. And, and a lot of times it's great to have someone like you aboard before something happens, because if you can teach tools like this to people, then if something does happen or they do experience maybe a little anxiety, it doesn't have to be full blown. It doesn't even have to be an injury. They just all of a sudden have a little anxiety for whatever reason. They have some tools in right. their back pocket that they can say, you know what, Darby talked to me about this and you know, I, I can, I can try to be more grounded. Let me try that little practice or let me try to come to my horse calm and centered and happy and see what the response is versus dragging all your junk from the day and you're still on your phone and, putting it in your back pocket versus just leaving it in your car. So, I, I mean, I feel like it would be great for, for you to do, you, you know, just to, the more that you can get the tools that you teach out to, to people and equestrians, then the better off we all are because yeah. we can help each other and then it ultimately helps our horses as well. 
Yeah. And that's what it really is about. I mean, that's why I do so much writing. I love to write, but I also love to educate and just, and I think the more tools we all have, um, and that's, that's my job is to give you more tools than, than you had yesterday. And, yes. um, um, because it really is a process, right? We never get to an end point of, okay, now I'm good. <laughs> right. I and wish we, that were true. <laughs> right. It's, I'm always evolving. I'm trying to learn every day. And, and, um, I think all of us, right. So it's about, you know, just getting more tools in your toolbox, or maybe the tools that you were used yesterday, maybe they don't work as well today. So we need a different kind of tool or yes. a different angle, or you have a different stressor. So, um, I definitely end up teaching a lot of, a lot of different tools. And like we've already talked about in this interview, so many of the tools we use with our horses on the barn are, are actually generalized tools. They're, right. they're right. They're useful for our lives. They make our lives better. Um, so, um, so I think yeah. just being kinder to yourself too, because mindset's huge when you set intentions and your goals and mindset, you know, I used to talk to myself terribly and I know a lot of women do this oh, and, nice. and so many more women ride you know, our equestrians than men. I'll just say a lot of women, you know, things that you think in your mind about yourself, you would never say to anybody out loud. And when you get that attitude and that thought process in your head of, you know, you're not good enough, you'll never get this move. I can't believe this. You know, like what's wrong with you? You're like, this is a common one. You know, like I've had this horse for eight years and I can't do X, Y, Z because I'm afraid you're so stupid. What, you know, look at that little kid. They can ride better than you can. When you start saying those things to yourself, especially if you're on your horse, your horse yeah. feels that. And then it's going to be, it's going to be magnified hundred percent. Um, so I think if you're caught in that type of a situation is the best way to handle that, just to try to stop and ground, start with the grounding process again and focus, um, or how, how do you break that quickly? Yeah. To, well, to break that quickly, I think you change your thoughts. Like you were saying, if you're saying to yourself, I'm a lousy rider, I don't deserve to be on this horse. Um, uh, you need, the quickest way is to change the thoughts that, uh, and say, I do deserve to have this horse. I am a good rider. Because the more, you, what you say, right, your brain believes what you say. Words are incredibly powerful. Yes. Right. And so it's really important to, to if you're having that kind of tape going in your head, Let's change it. Let's figure out. And you need to work on it. It's going it, to, it requires work. There's so much work that it, but it requires work, but you can do it, right? Instead of saying, oh, there I go again. Check, uh, uh, okay, I'm going to try that again. I, yeah. can, I can do this move. I'm going to try it again. Um, oh, there, I got it a little better. You need to, to transform it into positive self-talk. Um, it's funny that you bring this up because it reminds me of something I was thinking this morning and I don't know what book I read this in. Um, so I'm sorry, I don't have the quote for your, the reference, but, um, but this author was talking about reframing your life as if everything he said, what if this is the best thing that happened to you? What if this is the best thing right now happening? If everything, if everything that, that happened was the best thing, he said, try doing this for a week. Everything that happens is the best thing. Now that's hard. You're in a car accident. It's hard to frame that. But, but he gave this challenge of, okay, because we don't always know what the best thing is, right? But if you right. just reframe it as this is what's supposed to happen or, or this is, um, it allows a little leap of faith. Like, I don't know why 
you know, my horse getting injured is, is what was supposed to happen, but I'm going to have faith that something else, something good's going to come out of this. Yes. But that's again, a reframing rather than, Oh God, my horse is injured again. Yes. Now, you know, we're, you and I are talking about opening it up, reframing it in a positive way, and then creating that space for something good to come out of it. So right. if you have negative thoughts, you're in on yourself, right? You're turning in on yourself. You're closing down any possibility for improvement. Every time you say to yourself, oh, I'm not good, or I can't do this, then you won't be able to do it. The only right. way you're going to be able to do that half pass is to say, I can do it. Yes. Um, yes. And I am, you know. And when you have that loop playing, the first thing is that you re recognize it and don't judge yourself for it. Don't beat yourself up. But to, I like the point that you had, maybe if this is something that you struggle with, because I did for a long time until I finally started to break it, um, you take a place where you're in the ring, you know, it could be a number, it could be a jump, whatever it is, and you put the positive in there. Yes. Say, I am a good rider. I can do this. I have this. And also, I trust my horse. That's been a big yeah. one for me. Because, know. you know, we always think we're in the driver's seat and we're the boss when really it's a 50-50 relationship, That's whether right. you acknowledge that or not. So, you know, I've had my horse as an equine communicator say to me, you got to trust me. I can do this. I can carry you. Like, you got to let go. Let, let this happen. We can do this. Stop playing the baby, you know, in the baby pool. Let's get to the real stuff. And yeah. I think that always happens when you start to challenge yourself because you think, uh, you know, it's scary going out of your comfort zone and you're, maybe your, your jumps are higher or you're trying to move and it's hard and it's uncomfortable for you and for your horse. But if you have a place in the ring where you can say, you know, a positive affirmation, like I got this, I can do right. this. This is awesome. Like it just starts building on each other and it breaks that tape. Um, so absolutely. I think that, absolutely. I think and just one thing I'll add, if I could just add that the more specific you can be, the more powerful it is. Okay. Right. I mean, it's, I think, yeah, I love positive affirmations. I can do this. And actually that does help on course. You know, I can do this. I got this right. But even if, if there's something in particular, you can be really specific about to yourself, like changing, uh, that, that just helps, right. Makes it into bite size. Like I can do this fill in the blank. Okay. Um, I can keep moving forward. And I think because the brain thinks a little bit more in, in specifics, it breaks it down into small pieces and makes it doable and manageable. Right. Okay. Rather than saying, I am a good rider. You can say, I mean, you can't say that, but you can also say, I can, I can ride this fence. I yes. can ride this corner. The more, the smaller the pieces, this also works for high level anxiety. Like we don't think about the course or the pattern as a whole. You think it, about it in small pieces, right? And then, um, and then, because that's that's how we actually function is in small pieces, right? You're going around this turn. It's your inside leg, your outside end, etc. Right. So um, breaking those affirmations down to being something really specific, I think, makes them more powerful. Yeah, that's a great idea. But I love that. I love that having something like in the ring that you can focus on. Yeah. I love that. And then you're just training yourself and just repeating it, and and you can change those up, right? As you grow. And you can change that up to different moves. And like you said, keep it very specific. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love and that. The other thing that really transforms um, my perspective, and I think it helps with other people, is being connected to your gratitude. And again, I hope that doesn't sound cliche, but you know, in this very moment going around that turn, if you're really connected to to your gratitude to, for your horse, for being able to do this, for being out here, 
for whatever it is, I, it, it really drops your anxiety and I think hones your focus and just brings this joy in, which just makes everything better. And I think we, we all get busy and we've talked so much about perfectionism and how hard driving we all are that we actually forget. It's a, it's a mindfulness practice, right? Yes. We forget to be grateful. And so that's another, it can be a mantra. It can be like, I am grateful right now. And okay, maybe I messed up that move. I'm grateful for that opportunity to have tried it and right. I'm going to try it again tomorrow. And I, to me, it changes the world when you're really connected to your real gratitude. Um, it does. And it's been backed by science. I mean, that's the number one thing that changes your energy from low to high. And it's the fastest way to get there. And it can be so small. It can just be, I, I always say, you know, thank you for my horse and thank you that I'm able to be where I am right now. And I'm, and, and I, I'm here and I'm focused and I'm enjoying it. And like yeah. you said, maybe you didn't accomplish what you set out to accomplish you know, today and you're riding, but you had the opportunity and it's going to get better tomorrow. And just by being grateful every day and it, and it is, as you say, it's like a muscle. You have to continually practice, but the more you practice, the easier it gets. And then it just yeah. becomes a normal thing. Just like I always say this, like, remember the first time you tried to trot, to trot and remember how you used to have to post and you do around and around and around and you'd be like, up, down, up, down. You'd be like, I'm never going to get this. I'm never going to get this. And then all of a sudden one day you got it and you're like, I got it. And now you do it. You don't even think about it. It's automatic. Right. It's the same way when you're learning anything new now, back then. It's the same frustration, but eventually you'll get past it and you'll be able to do it and your horse will be able to do it and it'll become easy for you. So it's just about being grateful and being happy where you are. So yeah. Yeah. I can't thank you enough for being here, Darby. I love talking with you. You're so uh, cool. Thank uh, you for being here. This is awesome. This has been a joy. I'm so yeah. grateful. Yeah. I'm going to have all the links to Darby's uh, information up. Is there anything we're going to have, um, you know, your email and your website. Is there anything special that you want to leave the listeners with today before we sign up? Uh, Oh, no, I'm just like I said, I'm grateful to be here and to talk to everyone and to uh, share some of my tools and my gratitude for just being in the horse world. So yes, yeah, go ride. Go yeah. ride. Yes. <laughs> go ride and have fun with it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Darby, for being here. I appreciate it. I hope you all got something out of this. I know I did. And you guys have a great day. Thank you. Thanks. Bye bye. Awesome. Thank you, Darby. 